And now, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Choked Out Radio UFC 200 edition. A lot to talk about. A lot to talk about. UFC 200 is an historic event. 200 events in the making. Over 23, 24 years old. First started in 1993. And it has come a long way and still has a long way to go. What has become a cash cow has become a huge market, not just in the world of the UFC, but in the world of mixed martial arts. You know, of course, it was called something prior to 1993. Here, Sonnen, according to him, he was one of the pioneers in that, but it was officially dubbed mixed martial arts and the UFC's first event, of course, a lot different than now before there was gouging kicks with the groin, no weight classes. Those days are over. Now with the approval of the weight classes and abiding by the rules of the Nevada State Athletic Commission or any athletic state athletic commission for that matter, now there's weight classes, there's doctors, there's cut men. You know, it's very organized, legitimate sport. It has grown into a billion-dollar industry. You could thank the Fertilla Brothers and Dana White for always making stars. You have to give them credit where credit is due. Anderson goes down, Connor comes up. There's no women's division. GSP goes down, Ronda Rousey rises to the occasion. Johnny Bone Jones goes down. You have Stephen Thompson. You have, and then you have Verdun go down, Kane Velasquez go down, and then you have Steve Amiochik. So the UFC always, always finds a way to really build their people. And like I mentioned on my MMA, podcast taped earlier this week, you know, the fight game or boxing game is about putting butts to the seats. It's similar to wrestling in the sense that you have to promote yourself. You have to be able to sell the fight. You have to be able to communicate to the masses. And, you know, perfect example, you have John Cade, who unfortunately in English, you know, it's a language barrier for him, and he's a technically number one contender for the middleweight championship of the world, but when but when injuries occurred, who did they call? They called Michael Bisping first, and and that and Bisping answered the call when Chris Weidman went down. Uh, Bisping answered the call, and he defeated Luke Rockhold and became the UFC middleweight champion in a great, great UFC 199 card. Let me tell you, let me tell you. But I'm here to talk about 200. I'll go in depth a little bit for most of the main card. I'll I'll really briefly highlight some of the undercard, which I think will be the undercard. And let's begin with Johnny Hendricks, who I believe will not be on the main card. I think he'll be on the prelims. I'm not sure because I'm here on their UFC's website. It's just, boom, all the fights is there. So you have Johnny Hendricks, who's 17-4 and four, against Kelvin Gastelum, who's 12-2, and two, the number 12 welterweight. According to the rankings, Johnny Hendricks is number 6. According to the rankings, Johnny Hendricks, he lost to Ruthless Robbie Lawler in the welterweight. Championship bout in the return bout. Then he beat Matt Brown, and then he lost to Steve Stephen Thompson, who eventually is the number one contender, who became the number one contender by defeated uh, Robbie sorry Rory McDonald last weekend. So for Johnny Hendricks, we all know he's great in wrestling, great in dominating position. You know, for whatever reason, has just not sure if it's a weight cut issue. It seems that it's a weight cut issue. And also just, hey, man, the, the people now, 
and mixed martial arts, the athletes, it's amazing. It is amazing how much the sport has evolved over the last couple of years. You know, I, I've been watching it for a long time. I can't say from the beginning, but, you know, early on in, in UFC, and just to see the progression in the athletes and just, you know, what it takes, whether it's training with masks and understanding, you know, in, intertwining strength and conditioning, intertwining CrossFit, intertwining the wrestling and jiu-jitsu, the sport has become a, it's evolved by leaps and bounds. I'm very proud of that, ladies and gentlemen. You have Kevin Gastelum, who has trouble cutting weight, lost to Neil Bagney in his last fight, and both men, someone has to win. It can't be a draw. Someone has to turn it around. It could be a draw, but someone has to turn it around for Johnny Hendricks, for him to be considered at, at Robbie Lawler's welterweight championship. He must put together some sort of winning streak. For these two, they have not. Looked at the very consistent, very, you know, 500 records the past couple of fights. So both men need this fight bad. You know, Gastelum is great, you know, from the Ultimate Fighter. You know, all around great game. Like I said, his issues have been weight cut. Johnny Hendricks also had a weight cut issue in the past as well, I believe. And now this is a fight that, that both men cannot afford to lose at all. At all. Johnny Hendricks needs his fight to be at least in the conversation at another mega fight. For an opportunity at a title shot down the line, so it's an interesting fight to say the least. This is a, this is a big fight for Gastelum, big step if he could somehow, in some way, get by Johnny Hendricks. I know he couldn't get by Neil Magny, but hopefully he learned from his mistakes and going forward he'll be able to defeat Johnny Hendricks in UFC 200 at the T-Mobile Arena. Now the match I wanted, you know, Kat Zingano against Juliana Pena, you know, Kat Zingano. Of course, who originally beat Misha Tate, then got hurt. Misha Tate won the coach in the season with Ronda. Ronda beats Misha, and eventually Ronda beats Zingano, which is her only loss at 9-1. and one. So Zingano's looking, at, and she's willing to fight Chris Cyborg. Interesting, to say the least, how that will play out. Juliana Pena coming off a devastating injury. I think I believe it was a knee injury. Came back, got her first win, got in trouble with the law. And now Juliana Pena, that's behind her. Now she's open to, she's the number five woman, the bantamweight champion. What, what, uh, bantam, rank bantamweight, not a champion, excuse me. So this is, a, this is an important fight for both women. Kat Zingano, of course, in order to be considered for another opportunity down the line, especially now that Ronda Rounds is not in the picture, she has to continue to win. Has to continue to win. You know, it was embarrassing. She lost in less than 30 seconds. But hopefully now, and she's been through a lot personally, I think with her husband committed suicide and all that, has been going through a lot personally. So she needs to really step up in this fight and really needs to win. She has not fought since the Ronda Rousey fight, ironically, February 28, 2015. So this is a big bounce back fight for Kat Zingano, you know, coming off injuries, personal stuff. There's a lot going on in her life, but if she could just somehow turn it around here, she could go ahead and take care of business. The beautiful Venezuela vixen, Juliana Pena. Her MMA record is 7-2. and two. She's Her only two losses have been one by knockout, one by decision, has never been tapped out. So kudos to her. And look, and she's been on a great streak since returning. She beat Jessica Wachowski, Milana Dudleva. She beat Jessica Evil Eye via unanimous decision back in October of 2015. And now she faces Kat Zingano. Both women are coming off big layoffs. Maybe more for 
for Kat Zingano, Joanna Pena had fought October. That's still, what, six, seven months ago, whatever. So, with that being said, this is an important fight for both women. Zingano, hard-hitting, tough chick, tough girl, excuse me, excuse my French. Also, Joanna Pena, tough cookie, tough son of a gun. And she's great. Kickboxing, orthodox. She fights that sick jitsu, which I'm not a fan of, out of Spokane, Washington. She's just a, a all-around great, great person. And on top of that, you know, she's a tough son of a gun. So it should be an interesting fight. Both women need the win bad for Juliana Pena. If she wins that fight, you know, they, hey, Amanda Nunes is the number four contender and got a title shot. So if she wins this fight against Kat Zingano, she could be in that conversation for the next woman up for an opportunity at the Bantamweight Championship. Of course, you have Holly Holm fighting in a couple of weeks in Chicago against Shamanko. I forgot how to pronounce that, her last name. If, if Holly Holm wins that fight, she'll put herself in a position, whether it's a grudge super fight against Ronda Rousey or another title shot versus the winner of Tate Nunez. It is a very, very important fight. And for Katz and Gano, if she beats Juliana Pena, she puts herself in a conversation as well for perhaps facing the winner of Tate versus Nunez. Of course, the X factor is Chris Cyborg, who defeated her opponent um, a couple of weeks ago in Brazil. And now it's all about Chris Cyborg. Can she come down to 135? She came down almost to 134. Uh, she came at 139, excuse me, <clears throat> you know, five pounds from the weight limit. There's a lot of great possibilities of fights. They interviewed Misha Tate yesterday, and Misha Tate is open to the idea of having, of squaring off against Chris Cyborg one-on-one. -on -one. Chris Cyborg, the only other super fight in the women's division or in fighting. We saw the Manny Pacquiao Mayweather. A couple of years too late, but it happened. And now maybe Ronda Rousey could square off against Chris Cyborg. That's obviously the super fight. <clears throat> In second place, Rousey-Tate will be a great matchup. Holmes-Cyborg will be a great matchup. Zingano-Cyborg will be a great matchup as well. There's a lot of great opportunities. Chris Cyborg is the X factor, and it's a matter of her and her management team. Are they willing to cut down? She doesn't want to go down. If anything, she wants to open a third featherweight division, but I don't think it's going to happen in the UFC. If there's a third featherweight division, I mean, third women's division, it might, I think, a flyweight. We saw what happened with the family and, and Joanna uh, Calderwood. It was a nice, decent fight. They, they met in the middle at 125 at flyweight. I guess that was a big test to see if if the fight could go well with that. Valerie, of course, had that wardrobe malfunction. You know, she apologized. And, hey, I, I don't blame it. It's not... Yes, her kicks were devastating, Joanna Calderwood, but it was a more about a malfunction there. Hopefully in the future they could, you know, like we should take that she doubled salt for the wrong when fighting. So with that being said, back to Juliana Pena and Katzengano. Big fight for both women coming off huge layoffs. Similar to Johnny Hendricks and Kelvin Gastelum, both women in this situation need this win if they're going to be serious about contending for the UFC Women's Bantamweight Championship, or if they're serious about a future super fight with Chris Cyborg, which there's a lot of money to be made to be made in that fight. You know, UFC 205, 205 is looking very, very interesting to say the least in New York in November. Now that it finally got approved, of course you have a lot of the fights that are happening in 200 
health is a big factor. If most, for the most part, they're healthy, easily I could see three title matches happening. I could see the welterweight championship being defended. I could see, of course, the light heavyweight defended. Of course, I could see Conor McGregor finding, you know, defending his featherweight championship at some point as well. But he has to stay healthy. I mean, relatively be healthy after his fight with Nate Diaz in the return bout. All right, so there's Juliana Pena versus Kat Zingano. I'm looking forward to both women coming off layoffs there. You have Cain Velasquez, again, who's coming off a long layoff, and Travis Brown, who had a subpar performance, versus Meathead, uh, Matt Mitrion, which is fighting on tonight's card in Bellator 157. For those of you who don't know, Bellator 157 is taped, or will be happening live tonight, June 24th. We're taping June 24th for the UFC uh, 200 special, and hopefully... Nobody gets hurt from now to then, which I really doubt. Fight week, I believe, is the week after next. I believe Dana White and their management teams are going to say, please take it easy. Please do whatever you can to not get hurt. It's very important that these fighters hydrate. It's very important that these fighters stretch. It's very important that they spar, but go live, but not too live, basically. <laughs> That's basically what UFC management is saying. Came to last with the number two. Contender, only his only two losses have been to Dos Santos, UFC on Fox One. The you know first ever you know they crowned the heavyweight champion on on live on live television, and then came Velasquez lost to Fabricio Verdum in June of last year. Of course, that had a lot to do with the altitude and everything. And then came Velasquez was supposed to fight Fabricio Verdum earlier this year, and because of injuries to him and Verdum, that was canceled as well. So he's coming off a huge layoff. Travis Brown, of course, he is the villain, the heel in this matchup, so to speak. He is dating Ronda Rousey and is technically, technically for now separated from his wife, but it has nothing to do with MMA. He's 18 and 3, one draw, Hoppa, so to speak, after squaring off against Matt Mitrione's subpar performance needs this, I mean, both men need this fight. I think Cable Lasquez needs this to validate that he is a serious contender. If he loses this fight, I don't, I don't see Cain Velasquez, you know, fighting, you know, the winner of Stipe Miocic against Alistar Overeem. I really don't want to lose this fight. And of course, you have Travis Brown, who beat Matt Mitrione, who has heavy hands, but just didn't look, I don't know, maybe, maybe it was his camp, fight camp, maybe he was distracted, who knows, but did not look too crisp in his previous fight with Matt Mitrione. But however, you know, he has hard hands, and I think, at, you know, he's, has 14 of those wins by knockout. So obviously, and he has an interesting Muay Thai background. He's 2-0 and zero in amateur Muay Thai. And those wins have come via knockout as well. And for, for Hoppe, it's just about, hey, just continuing to win. You know, he, he's been very 500 as well. Hoppe lost for Fabrizio Verdun, unanimous decision, two years ago back in April. He beat Brendan Schaub. He, he lost to Arlovsky. And then he beat Matt Mitrione. So, win-loss, win-loss. And he's been really inconsistent from there. He beat Alistair Overeem, but because of his inconsistency, that is why he is ranked the number seven contender, I believe. Yes, he's the number seven contender. So, if he, if he wins this fight, Travis Brown, he could perhaps, you know, continue to be in that conversation for a future opportunity at the heavyweight championship, which he could skip some people. I don't know. It doesn't matter to me. But it's a big fight. I think the winner of this fight can seriously be a contender for the heavyweight 
championship. You have to also consider Junior Dos Santos. I believe he's fighting in a couple of weeks as well, so you have to consider him as the X-Factor in the heavyweight division. This is a very, very important fight. Absolutely very important fight for both men. For Cain Velasquez, it's about validating that he's a legit fighter. You know, the first time he was injured against Dos Santos, of course he beat Dos Santos, you know, two straight times after that. And then for his loss against Verdun, the altitude... You know, a lot going on personally. Who, who knows? And hopefully he could go back in his winning ways. And for Travis Brown, is about putting together a win streak. Look what it did with McGregor. Look what it did with. Look what it did with Stephen Thompson. You know, that's all it takes. You have to win a couple of fights in a row, and then you'll be considered for a serious shot at the heavyweight championship or a or at a championship. A couple of those are just two or three examples. You have. Look what it did for Connor. Look what it did for Ronda. Obviously, look what it did for Stephen Thompson. All these individuals who had great streaks. Oh, oh Cabe Cerrone had a great streak. He lost that opportunity, but at least put himself in a position for an opportunity at the lightweight championship of the world. All right, let's talk about Jose Aldo, Frankie Edgar, two. The second matchup between Jose Aldo and Frankie. Edgar, ladies and gentlemen, I watched the first fight. You know, a lot of people are, are already writing off Jose Aldo. Let's, you know, hey, Jose Aldo was a dominant, dominant featherweight champion coming off with the merge of WC, whatever it was. But Jose Aldo Jr. is a excellent, excellent fighter. 25 and 2. He's 25 and 2. Hadn't lost in almost 10 years. On a very, or at least in a very, very long time. You have Frankie Edgar, who is the former Lightweight champion came down to featherweight to fight Jose Aldo was very unsuccessful. Not very unsuccessful. He was unsuccessful in winning the championship, nineteen and four. And Frankie Edgar has some wins against some notable, notable opponents. Let's take a look at Jose Aldo's record in detail, ladies and gentlemen, and show you that this guy is the real deal. Jose Aldo, who unfortunately lost to Conrad Gregg in about thirteen seconds and lost the featherweight championship. And then was supposed to fight him again. It just didn't happen. So he's 25 and 2. 14 of those wins have been by knockout. He hits hard. He just got hit hard in less than 15 seconds. Lost. And the only two losses have been one by knockout by Conor McGregor and one by submission as well. He lost to McGregor, of course. But before that, he was winning 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18th fight win streak. His last loss was before Conor McGregor was at Jungle Fight 5. He lost to Luciano Acevedo via rear naked choke back in November of 2005. It had been, yeah, it had been 10 years since he had lost and he did come over from the WBC. I'm confirming that right now. He beat some, some tough, tough dude. Cub Swanson, Mike Brown, Uriah Faber, Manny Gambieran, more common Ken Flo. Chad Mendes, Frankie Edgar, Chan Sung Hoon, Ricardo Namas, Chad Mendes again, and finally he lost to Conor McGregor. So Jose Aldo is no joke. He had a 10-year win streak, and all of, you know a lot of people are already writing him off. It's been one fight. He made a mistake. Conor McGregor made him pay for that mistake, and as a result, he's no longer the featherweight champion of the world. But Frankie Edgar came down from lightweight, beat the great BJ Penn. 
had a great war with Ray Maynard, great wars. And Frankie Edgar, you know, since losing to Jose Aldo in that fight, he's been on a great win streak. Beat uh, Charles Oliveira, who was great jiu-jitsu. Beat BJ Penn again. Beat Club Swanson, which I thought Swanson was going to win. He beat Uriah Faber, and he beat Chad Mendez. So he's in a one, two, three, four, five fight win streak. Of course, before that, he was in a three-fight losing streak, but because of that win to Oliveira, made it, you know, back in his winning ways, and fighting, I guess, like like any sport, it's about momentum. You know, the more you win, the more better you train, the better you train, the more you want it, the more you want it, the healthier you get, the healthier you are, you just continue to thrive and thrive and thrive off that. So, with, with Frankie Edgar, finally, he has an opportunity at the interim uh, featherweight championship, uh, Jose Aldo as well, and if he beats him, he will be the interim featherweight champion, and we will look at a unification bout down the line. Frankie Edgar is from Summit, New Jersey, or from New Jersey, so to speak. If he beats Aldo, he could get an opportunity with Conor McGregor, win or loss, regardless of what happens at UFC 202. As long as McGregor is happy, I'm pretty sure they will want him to fight in November. That is, that's at the end of August. You got September, October, November. That is like 12 weeks until November. Which is plenty of time for a fight camp. Absolute plenty of time for a fight camp for Conor McGregor if he gets out relatively healthy. Now, if he breaks his bone or, or tears something, obviously the unification bout will not happen. But if he if he gets out relatively healthy, then maybe perhaps we'll see that bout happen at two zero five. And Jose Aldo, it's a, it's a win win either way. We're, we'll get the rematch of all rematches. Champion versus champion, Aldo versus McGregor. Can he avenge the 13 seconds for Jose Aldo? And also on the other side of the coin, if it's Edgar, if he defeats Aldo for the interim featherweight championship, I think it would be a great unification bout as well. So with that being said, hey, I think it's a great matchup, Jose Aldo, Frankie Edgar. The first time when I saw was holding Aldo in their first matchup, he was chopping him down, chopping him down, catching him, catching him. Catching him with the hook, catching him with the hook. Edgar did take him down, but McGregor, I mean, McGregor, Aldo was able to, to get up. Edgar, you know, he was able to take him down a couple of times. Frankie Edgar, but Jose Aldo just kicked him and kicked him and, and really, really took away or tried to take away as much as possible that takedown. Because let's face it, you know, even though I'm a white belt in Jiu Jitsu, hey, you know, in order to do a takedown, you need your legs. You need your legs to, to go ahead and use that power to take that down, person down, whether it's double leg, single leg, whatever it is, you need your leg. You need your leg. And even, even, even for striking, even for striking, you, you need your legs. You, know, you need, you know, you, you need one to place and then the other for the power. And obviously, if you can't stand, you can't punch. So it's a great strategy for Jose Aldo in winning their last fight. And for Frankie Edgar, you know Jose Aldo hits hard. You, I believe 14 of those wins have come via knockout. Yes, I am correct. So it's a matter of just trying to take him down and, and, and using your wrestling, you know, to your advantage to an extent, or, or using whatever wrestling you have to your advantage and try to neutralize him. I know he has a black belt in jiu-jitsu, but hey, it's a, it's a matter of him taking him down. And, and it's not, you know, it's not about necessarily going for the submission. That's, I mean, he could. He's a black belt in jiu-jitsu, but you never know. He could catch him sleeping, but it's all about timing, and it's just about positioning. At least, hopefully, these judges are finally trained in mixed martial arts, and it's about positioning and attempts, submission attempts. Very important. Very important. So, a very big fight for the interim featherweight championship of the world. 
course, you have Amanda Nunes, one-on-one against Misha Tate. Misha Tate, who defeated Holly Holm and shocked the world, was losing the fight, in my opinion, in points, and became the UFC Women Bantamweight Champion, defeated Holly Holm a couple of months ago, UFC 196, the same card as Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz. So from, you know, Misha Tate's MO is she gets her butt kicked and then at the end somehow some way grits it out and, and wins with her submission. You know, she has excellent submission game. Very underestimated jujitsu in my opinion. A lot of people think that because she takes a beating for three, what about the, the fourth and fifth round? So she fights a full 25 minute fight. Holly Holm at first hand knew or knows about that, ladies and gentlemen. As far as Misha Tate, Holly Holm had that fight won. She just made a mistake and didn't know how to defend the chokes and didn't know how to defend takedown defense. But if she was to work on those two games, Holly Holm would have won that fight. She was about two to three minutes away from winning that fight. Had he known her, her, her jiu-jitsu would have been more well-rounded. Well I believe I saw afterward Misha, uh, Holly Holm was training jiu-jitsu after that. She knows. She knows it. She knows that striking wise, Misha Tate was not going to compete with her. It was a matter of the ground game, and the ground game proved to win that night at UFC 196. On the other side of the coin, you have Amanda Nunez, who finally gets an opportunity at the UFC Women's Bantamweight Championship, of course, with Ronda out the picture and Holly Holm in, in a separate fight later in the month. So Amanda Nunez is the next person up. Very impressive in her last couple of fights. She defeated Valentina, uh, yes, Javenko, who's fighting Holly Holm in a couple of weeks, I believe in Chicago. She beat Valentina via unanimous decision. She beat Sarah McMahon and Shayna Basler, who's been cut from the UFC and is now a professional wrestler and did lose to Katzengano. We're talking about Amanda Nunes. So now for her, she's in a three-fight win streak. Could take advantage of this big opportunity. If she beats Misha Tate, automatically she's in a conversation with a fight against Ronda Rousey automatically. And if she loses, then if she loses, then it is what it is. But Amanda Nunez, great fighter. She she has four losses. She's 12 and 4. Her four losses have been two by knockout, one by submission, and one by decision. Most of her wins have come via the knockout. Come via the knockout. So she has a strong son of a son of a She beat, you know, TKO leg kick, TKO Olsen puncher, TKO elbows, TKO punches. TKO or knockout punches, TKO punches. She has hard hands. So Misha Taper to watch out. I know she was in the ring or in the octagon with Holly Holm for five rounds, but this girl hits hard. So if I was Misha Tate, easier said than done on paper, but just, you know, take her down, neutralize her, her, her striking and make her beat you on the ground. So basically that, that would be my strategy if I was Misha Tate. And if I was Amanda Nunes, keep it standing and take advantage that, that you know, you have hard hand. He was given a gift with hard hand and, and to take, use that to your advantage and avoid the ground at all costs. But it's easier said than done, which is why we love the sport of mixed martial arts, which why game plans are so interesting from month to month, day to day, year to year, week to week, hour to hour. So. Big fight for Amanda Nunez. She wins automatically in that conversation with the super fights with Rousey. Home if she beats uh, Valentina. 
and also Chris Cyborg, which is a cash cow waiting to happen, whether it's here in the U.S., whether it's in Brazil, whatever the case may be, ladies and gentlemen. So, no predictions, I just gave you the facts between Misha Tate and Amanda Nunez. Easy fight for my next fight. You have Brock Lesnar, the former UFC heavyweight champion, of course, the former WWE World Heavyweight Champion, current WWE Superstar, big, big collaboration agreement between the UFC and World Wrestling Entertainment. Brock Lesnar is allowed to fight at this historical event and will still compete, hopefully, if healthy, at, U at SummerSlam this year in the Barclays Center. He is, I believe it's 5-3. and three. I don't know, there's something incorrect on the on the website here. He's five and three. He lost to Frank Mir. He lost to Kane Velasquez and he lost to Overing. So the, the website big typo, he's five and three, he's not five and two, Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar he, he beat he lost to Frank Mir. He beat Heath Herring. He beat of course uh, Randy Couture to become the heavyweight champion. He beat Shane Carlin in an arm triangle. He beat, you know, he beat Frank Mir. I said that, and then he lost to Cain Velasquez and lost to Overeem, and that was at the height of his arthritis. He should have not been in the octagon. Actually, he got kicked a couple of times in the stomach, and after that, he just, he just didn't have it. So for Brock Lesnar, a big fight. I think more for him personal than anything else. To you know, not only to take advantage and make a huge payday out of. UFC 200, but also avenge his loss to Overeem and avenge the fact that Averculitis defeated him. Brock Lesnar, let's face it, doesn't have the best hands. Ground game is improving. He's a blue belt, just got promoted to blue belt in jiu-jitsu. But the, the fact of the matter is, for Brock Lesnar, his strength is his strength, A, and B, his wrestling. He won the 2000 NCAA championship in an amateur wrestling, so Brock Lesnar is a decorated wrestler. I mean, Yes, he comes from the world of WWE, but before that, he is a legitimate, legitimate athlete. One of the only legitimate athletes, you know, in in the sport, so to speak. And then for Mark Hunt with the walk-off win, he's 12 and 10, doesn't have the best record, but he's a very, very exciting fighter. You know, of course, not known for his ground game, he's known for his striking, known for, for walk-off wins. The way he knocked out Frank Mir and sent people home happy. And that last fight was very amazing for Mark Hunt. 12, 10, 1. He beat Frank Mir. And this is an important fight. You know, some people are picking Lesnar based on his ground game. A lot of people are picking Mark Hunt because he has more experience in the octagon. This is not a gimme fight for Brock Lesnar. But let me tell you, it's not like, you know, they're giving him someone who's 1 and 0, 2 and 0. He's an established, established fighter. And if Brock Lesnar was somehow prevail from this, I give him a lot of respect just for the fact that. He's been out the game five, six years and to come back one of the hardest hitters in the heavyweight division. Who has a kickboxing record of 30 and 13, a professional boxing record of 2 and 1, an MMA record of 12, 10 and 1. And those knockouts have been 9 wins by knockout, 3 by decision. And most of his wins have come by knockout. So, you know, it's not an easy fight. It is not an easy fight for either men, especially for Brock Lesnar, you know. He beat Frank Mir, he beat Antonio Silva, he lost to the champion eventually, Steve Miocic, he lost to the ex-champion for B. Super Doom, he beat Roy Nelson, 
that Antonio Silva was a draw. He lost to Santos. So his problem is he hasn't been able to put some sort of win streak together. However, however, you know, he beat some guys who's a who's who. Oh, yes, he has a lot of losses. He also has a lot of wins. He beat Stephon Stroop, Chet Congo, Ben Rothwell. He beat Roy Nelson. He beat Tony Silva. He beat Frank Mir. These are not jabroni, so to speak. He, you know, these are, these are some legit, legit, legit people. But Brock Lesnar is easy. It's about taking him down and like, and just like, just like a man Nunez and team. Take, you know, take him down and, and take away the opportunity for him to strike. And for Mark Hunt, it's a matter of striking first, striking fast, and it's a matter of him of making sure that Brock Lesnar does not take him down. Because if he takes him down, and I'm pretty sure Brock Lesnar will be at the 265-pound uh, weight limit. He's not going to be any less. That's 265 pounds on you, and, and whether it's in side control, whether it's a mound, whether it's a scarf, or a scarf, knee on belly, whatever the case may be, he is a big guy, and it's going to be difficult for him to... For you to, to move that 265 pound guy. So for Mark Hunt, it's a matter of catching him, but precisely, not just being sloppy. It's about being able to precisely be able to connect a couple of shots of Brock Lesnar, whether it's to the head or whether it's to the body, wherever there's vulnerability on Lesnar's part. He doesn't like getting hit. So whatever works, whatever works. Maybe this camp he's been training, maybe he's doing well. But the fact of the matter is, this is not a, a gimme fight for Brock Lesnar just to pack another win on his, on his record. But this is a legitimate guy, legitimate boxing background, a legitimate kickboxing background, and a legitimate MMA background. Yes, his record is not the best record, but because he takes any fight, anywhere, anytime, last minute. And hey, and most of his wins have come via knockout. So if Lesnar's going to win, he's going to have to take him down. And if Hunt's going to win, I think he's going to have to try as much as possible to keep the fight standing. Alright, and then also the main event. The main event is going to be Daniel Cormier versus Johnny Jones, Johnny Bone Jones in their first encounter. And this is a, this is like, this reminds me of the Rocky storyline. In the Rocky storyline, you had Apollo Creed and Rocky Balboa. In the first one, Apollo Creed beats him. But a lot of people sort of doubt it, so that's why he wants to Fight Balboa again and eventually loses Balboa. Similar to that story, Daniel Cormier thinks he's in the movie. <laughs> no, not really. He doesn't think he's in the movie, but he wants to validate that he's a legitimate, legitimate light heavyweight champion. And the only way for him to be a legitimate light heavyweight champion is to defeat the guy that he's never beaten, which is Johnny Bone Jones. And for, for Johnny Bone Jones, he only has one loss, and I was there. Ultimate Fighter, Heavyweight Division, uh, Ultimate Fighter season, I forgot what season, season 10, the heavyweights, the one that Kimbo Slice was on. He lost to Matt Hamill because he elbowed him 6-12, to 12, which is a stupid rule. Joe Rogan has been on, on various telecasts mentioning how that's a very stupid rule. But besides that, he is undefeated besides that. He's become the youngest champion in the history of the organization. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, it's all about... Johnny Bone Jones reclaiming or regaining his champ, his full-fledged light heavyweight champ. He beat OSP because Daniel Cormier at the last second canceled because of injury and eventually postponed that and, and put that on this card. And for Daniel Cormier, it's about, yes, he has great wrestling, but it's about, you know, being able to avoid John Jones's striking or not avoid, but able to eat those 
the striking combination and being able to use that or catch him, catch a leg and then take him down and dominate position. He tried. He tried. He tried to take him down. He couldn't take him down. Where was shocking was Johnny Bone Jones was the one taking the taking down. That was the most shocking part. You know, no matter what he did, Daniel Cormier striking, standing, you know, Johnny Jones had an answer for everything. Johnny Jones' biggest enemy is Johnny Jones, whether it's the hit and run, whether it's the cocaine use, whatever the case may be. Johnny Jones is the biggest enemy. If Johnny Jones can control Johnny Jones, he is, without, without a shadow of a doubt, probably one of the greatest mixed martial artists this world has ever seen. And for Daniel Cormier, it's all about what? It's all about validating <clears throat> that he's the undisputed light heavyweight champion. And by doing what? By defeating the only man that gave you your loss, which is Johnny Bone Jones. So this fight has a lot riding, and it's a great main event. Great place to do it at, at, at the historical 200th UFC. So in my opinion, for Johnny Jones, pretty much the same game plan that he had in his first fight, being able to stuff his takedowns, being able to you know, strike when needed, use that, use those combinations. And for Daniel Cormier, it's about, and it's hard because Johnny Jones has way more reach, way more reach than, than Daniel Cormier. And, you know, you can't be too far because if you be too far, you'd be at the end of his power kicks and power punches. And you can't be up close because Johnny Jones, he has very underestimated wrestling and he'll take you down. So you're just going to have to, Get ready for 25 minutes of war. Then you call me basically saying one more time. And, and for that, you just have to cut the distance. You know, I mean, for, the first step is to try to cut the distance. It's easier said than done. The second thing is being able to, to somehow, you know, some way take him down. And if you take him down, you avoid all the striking. It's easier said than done, but it's got to be done. It has got to be done. Johnny Jones has 4.25 strikes landed per minute versus Daniel Cormier, 3.89. Accuracy, 55. Jones, 48 percentage-wise. Cormier, grapple, takedown average, 2.25 versus Daniel Cormier's, 1.85. Submission average, 0.62 to Daniel Cormier's, 0.40. Takedown defense, 80 percent to 94. So statistically, all across Johnny Jones is, is better than Daniel Cormier as well, whether it's in the striking department or, or takedown defense department. So Daniel Cormier, he just has to ignore that stuff and just come up with a plan. You know, I, I saw the first fight. You know, he was never able to take him down. If anything, anything, Johnny Jones was able to take him down. And, and hey, it's a matter of cutting the distance. Cutting the distance for Daniel Cormier. And for Johnny Jones, similar game plan. You know, he's going to try to take you down with his background in wrestling and because of his weight and because of, because of his body. Just be able to somehow use those combinations, keep him away from you, use your height to your advantage. So that's Johnny Jones. That's what he has to do in order to win the fight. All right. And also, some other fights that are happening that I did not really discuss is you have TJ Dillashaw, Rafael, Asun Kao. Very important fight in the bantamweight division, ladies and gentlemen. We just saw Dominic Cruz with a dominant performance against Uriah Faber. If Dillashaw gets by Rafael Asuncao, you could argue that we could see Dillashaw, Dominic Cruz down the line. 
Sage Northcutt, young guy, young blue chipper is going to fight Enrique Marin. Diego the Nightmare Sanchez, Joe Lawson. Musasi, John Musasi, Thiago Santos. Jim Miller with Takanori Gomi as well. It's very, very stacked card to say the least. A very important fight even for the Dillashaw. He has to win that fight to get in an opportunity against Dominic Cruz down the line. All right, so that that is my UFC 200th edition of Choked Out Radio. I'm not going to name It's not going to be episode 151. It is a 200th edition of Choked Out Radio. I want to thank all the MMA fans and all the wrestling fans that continue to listen to Choked Out Radio on a weekly basis. Thank you very much. A lot of changes happening. I know I've been saying that for a couple of months. It's going to happen. And the reason why I'm postponing everything is that I most likely will debut everything by SummerSlam weekend, which is in late August. So with that being said, a lot of changes happening, working on some great things. Hey, it's been a pleasure. We broke down together for about 40 minutes, over 40 minutes, the UFC card, UFC 200 card. Hopefully no injuries happen from June 24th to July 9th. So good luck to Dillashaw, Asuncao. Good luck to all these guys. Good luck to Johnny Hendricks, Gaslam, Cats and Gallon, Julian Pena. Cain Velasquez, Travis Brown, Jose Aldo, Frankie Edgar, Misha Tate, Mena Nunez, Brock Lesnar, Mark Hunt, and of course, Daniel Cormier, Johnny Bone Jones. All right, it's been a pleasure talking MMA. Love it. 40 minutes. All right, it's been a pleasure. Take care and enjoy the fight.